Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! Connor Tate is going to round third, he will score! And rounding third is Blaylock, he will score! And the dogs walk it off! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down, Bryce Young's career. You need 10, play clock at four. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Classic City Sports Podcast. Oh, signs falling down behind Jonathan to start the show. This so, is pretty on par for how the Falcons played today. You know what? Yeah, it's just let it it's going to have to be gone today, unfortunately. <laughs> let it Kind fall. of fitting. Uh, well, welcome back in for another show. Uh, as always, Jeremiah Stoddard, Jonathan Williams. Uh, got a good one for you today. Georgia finishes up, you know, their basically out of conference slate except Georgia Tech mm-hmm. at the end of the season with a win over UAB 49 to 21 and we're going to talk about all things about that game. I would probably talk a little bit about the recruiting stuff since uh, we did have a decommitment from Georgia today as well so we might talk about that for a second. Uh, worth mentioning at least for you guys. Um, but Jonathan, how are we feeling after going, you know, through the first four games, 4 and 0. Only had one real game against South Carolina so far but still 4 and 0 through this part of the season. I mean, shoot, you look around the rest of the league, 4-0 seems pretty dang good. 4-0 and number one team in the nation, got a solid quarterback. I mean, your Georgia situation, I think a lot of people would trade for it right now. Just ask Clemson, just ask Alabama, just ask, I mean, heck, even maybe LSU. Like, a lot of people would rather be in Georgia's position right now than they would be in their own right. So, I mean, four games in, like you said, not really anything substantial over that four-game stretch opponent-wise outside of South Carolina, but good to be getting out of that way, I think – like we said all offseason, this four-game stretch was a great um, way for Georgia to kind of work out their kinks, figure out their identity, get healthy, especially over these last four weeks. I think that's been a major um, kind of something that's kind of wiggled its way into a, like a like a focal point over this four-game stretch, trying to get healthy, trying to get guys back. So that's been a good thing. So now you're, it's just all about SEC schedule. you got a great opponent coming up against Auburn. That's always a fun one, and it'll be in Auburn. So just excited to see how they Georgia matches up the rest of the way in the SEC schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And and to go back to what you're saying, through this part of the season, you've kind of been warming up through it. Now it's time to kind of focus in on your, your regular mm-hmm. season against SEC opponents for the most part. Yep. And you get Auburn, then Kentucky, then Vanderbilt before you get your bye week. So those next three games, that's that's the stretch to focus on right now. And the competition isn't exactly super stout. You know, uh, Auburn just lost to Texas A&M. They lost to Cal, or they beat Cal to start the season. Can't remember. Auburn beat Cal two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, and it was 14-10 to 10 or something like oh, that. Oh, so horrible. They did win that game, uh, but they lost this past week to Texas A&M. 
And now, you know, so they're not exactly your strongest opponent. Then you get Kentucky at home, and we've seen the struggles Kentucky's had, then Vanderbilt right after that as well. So you do still have a little bit of a lighter part of your schedule before you get that bye week. After that bye week, you obviously go into Florida. Uh, you got Missouri, then Old Miss, then Tennessee, and then Georgia Tech. So that stretch after that bye week is when it starts getting kind of tough for you. So you got to make sure you're ready to go there. Um, but Let's let's focus on the game at hand from yesterday real quick. The first thing that stood out to me was Kirby Smart and the guys came out swinging to start the game. The first drive, they're throwing it, you know, started the play or started the game with a 33-yard t- or pass down the middle of the field and really started to seem like they were opening up the offense in that aspect early on rather than coming out there running a little bit more, throwing a bunch of screens to start the game, um, which I'm not hating on the screens. They work for Georgia pretty well. As we know, Kirby Smart says that's an extension of the run game. But it was nice to see on the opening drive that uh, Carson Beck went five for six and I think 70 yards or something like that on that first drive. So it was nice to see them come out swinging to start that game. Yeah, I mean, I think they did exactly what everybody was hoping that they would do. Go ahead and get your offense rolling early, took a deep shot, and things seemed to be clicking pretty early on. Carson Beck seemed to be comfortable, as he has been this entire season. He's never looked out of place or out of sorts by any means back there in the pocket. So he had another great day. I think the biggest takeaway for me, on Saturday was I think Georgia went six for six in the red zone. And more importantly, you were scoring touchdowns in the red zone. When you got down there, you were turning those into touchdowns. I think Georgia was like six for 14, something like that in the red zone this year in, in regard to touchdowns, I believe. So that's a major bonus point. In years past, you've seen Georgia kind of have some red zone struggles in the early part of the season, and it kind of took them a while before they actually got going and they kind of figured things out. Like I think in 2021, it wasn't until like, the Georgia Tech game or right before that where it seemed like Georgia really started to figure things out in the red zone. So if they can take what they did against UAB and keep that rolling, that's going to be a huge, huge, huge benefit for Georgia moving forward, especially because Georgia's issue is not moving the football. Every time they get the ball, they are working their way down the field methodically or whether it be through a deep shot, they are working their way down the field and they are converting on third downs. It's just you got to finish the drill. You know, the old saying of you got to finish the drill when you get down there. You have got to put points on the board. And more importantly, let's turn those opportunities into touchdowns. I think Georgia's offense and Mike Bobo did a great job of doing that on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Our One of my biggest concerns, and I know it was one of yours as well, was their red zone success. Because in the previous weeks, they had been moving the ball well. And then, like, go, let's go back to South Carolina. They, they were moving the ball very well at the beginning of the game. You know, you end up having to settle for one field goal. You miss another field goal. Uh, then you have to punt and all that. And, like, then your first half is really kind of unraveling on you at that point because you only got four possessions in there in that first half. So, it was kind of a tough start there. Um, those red zone woes kept up later on in that same game, got in the red zone, missed another field goal. And it's just, it's a very big issue at that when you get that far down the field. And especially if you're missing the field goals because you're leaving it completely scoreless. So all now you did was waste five minutes of game clock and mm-hmm. give the ball right back to the other team without putting anything up for yourself. So seeing them score on six of six with all touchdowns in the red zone or yesterday was amazing for me because that's exactly what I wanted to see them work on this week. And like you said, they're moving the ball extremely well. Total offense was 562 or 82, 82 yards. Uh, That's a lot. Okay. And 394 passing yards. That's, that's a ton of offense. You had Carson Beck throw for 338 and 
three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. I don't think you can ask for much more from your quarterback than that. And I know there are people out there, uh, like we were talking about before the show on Twitter, that have made comments, well, he, he keeps missing the deep passes, or you know, he throws it to the ground in the flats and misses his guy, uh, things like that. Well, he's not going to be perfect, but he had a 70% completion percentage or something around that spot. 68. 68, so almost 70, and threw for 338 yards and had four total touchdowns. I think that's about as good of a start that you can really ask for. I think what people wanted him to do was what Stetson did a couple years ago against UAB when he came in that game, and it was like, you know, five straight touchdowns or four straight touchdowns or something like that to start the game and all deep passes. He had like 300 yards almost after four possessions or something stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're not going to get that all the time. I think this team, UAB came out wanting to compete, and I think they did a pretty good job overall. But as far as the offense goes, you know, obviously Carson had a good game. Uh, what I really liked is that they were able to force feed Brock Bowers, and he was just showing you that he's still him. I mean, yeah, th- that's what I took away from Saturday, and kind of what I w- the narrative that I was pushing after the game is everything that Georgia fans were wanting the offense and Carson Beck to do after the South Carolina game. That's exactly what they did on Saturday. But where, where's Brock Bowers? Well, nine receptions, 120 yards, and two touchdowns later. There's where Brock Bowers is. Let's take some deep shots. Okay, we'll test one with Jackson Meeks where he kind of lets up on the pass. Carson throws it over his, over his head just a little bit. There's one for you. You throw one to Arian Smith, puts it right in his breadbasket, literally a perfect pass. Arian Smith just can't come down f- with it. You, you hit – Rosimi Jack Saint for an explosive over the middle of the field that heats and turns into a big play. The explosives were there. You found Brock Bowers. Let's get the running game going. Dejon Edwards has provided that spark for you in the running back room. He seems to be your guy. You didn't have Kendall Mill and you didn't have Roderick Robinson. So once you get those guys back, once you're completely healthy, that room is going to be okay with Dejon Edwards leading the leading the way for them. So any questions and concerns that anybody had for this offense going into Saturday, everything was answered. And that offense did everything that you asked of them to do on Saturday. Yet because Carson Beck wasn't 40 for 40 for 480 yards and six touchdowns, there's still room to complain. As Dion would say, that's some bull junk right there, man. That's exactly what that is. So you just have to keep moving forward. They're going to get better. Carson Beck and that offense appear to be getting better every single week. At least that's the perspective that I have taken. And that's the way I perceive it. So, Really, no worries there for me offensively. I mean, they're only going to get better each and every week. Yeah, when you go in and you score on the red zone attempts like that, and then you're throwing for as many yards as you are in the game, along with running for 188 yards as a team, that I know we only had one, you know, the, the leading rusher was Dejon Edwards with 66 yards. And so maybe somebody wanted to see him go a little bit higher. But as a team, you don't need him to when you have, you know, 188 as a team, but also he wasn't running the ball after, you know, the late second quarter third quarter they started letting Andrew Paul which by the way let's give a little clap for that because we got Andrew Paul back which is huge for that running back room and yeah he's probably still not 100% or like full speed but seeing him back in that running back room when you've had so many injuries there I think that's going to be huge for Georgia as they go on the road to Auburn and then they go down this SEC stretch you're getting some of those guys back that's that's massive right there Um, And then Cash Jones has started to, you know, continue to look pretty good overall in that role 
as well. So I think that running back room is looking a lot better than they did to start the season once we got Dejon Edwards back and then now Andrew Paul. So I have a lot more confidence in the running ability now too. And the offensive line the past two weeks now has played a lot better than they did in the first two games, which is massive. That starts everything for you. Up front, you can block. That means you can throw it a little bit easier because Carson's going to have a little bit more time. And then you can actually run the ball successfully. Makes a big difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't have an offensive line. You can't do anything. It doesn't matter how good you are everywhere else. Everywhere else, If your offensive line isn't doing the job, then it don't matter. But I think the biggest thing for getting a guy like Andrew Paul back and hopefully when you get Kendall Milton back and you get Roderick Robinson back is that you can get Dylan Bell out of there. I know people yeah. want to say keep saying that they want to see more of Dylan Bell at the running back spot because he does look good, and he does. Don't get me wrong. He has kind of helped uplift that room in a time where they need it, and he has been providing some cr- solid rushes for them out of the backfield. But I think Georgia would rather have him – you would rather be using him as a wide out because that's what he is. I think that's what he does best. And if you don't need to use Dylan Bell as a running back, then let's not do that. I mean, I think that one thing that use multitude of ways, if you want to use him out of the backfield, then that's another plus. You know, even if you just want to line him up in the backfield, shift him out to the boundary, that automatically creates a mismatch for you because you're, and plus you can combat that with any other mismatches that you're able to create on offense with Brock Bowers existing. That's always a major plus for you as an offense. So I think he's provided um, some flexibility for them, and that's something that they'll continue to use. But I would much rather see our traditional running backs in the backfield as opposed to Dylan Bell having to tote the rock four or five times every game. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to make a massive difference as it goes down the stretch because what we also need is, you know, Dylan Bell can contribute in the passing game as an actual receiver. And so if you keep him away from that room too long, then maybe he can't contribute in the other side of it. So getting the guys back where they're supposed to be, it helps the team as a whole. And uh, But I'm excited to see what Georgia does next week on the road. Now, people need to understand that that game is on the road against Auburn and Jordan-Hare Stadium is a tough place to play. Now, I don't think Auburn's a very good football team. But if if early on in that game, Georgia is, you know, a little out of sorts because I mean, it's going to be very loud. It's going to be a a hostile environment, even though they aren't a great team. Their fans show up every single game, especially for an SEC opponent. So that's going to be a whole nother whole nother ball game uh, or different environment that Georgia's played in because they played at home every game this year. So now you actually have to go on the road. That's going to be a little bit different. So let's see how the offense works, how Carson communicates with everybody, how well they can get everything moving, how how well Mike Bobo responds with the new quarterback in that type of environment. That's what I'm going to be looking for. I'm excited to see what this offense can do in that type of game. Uh, I think that's where we'll actually see what type of team we're going to be able to start continue to put forward, I should say. Yeah, I, I think that's is getting Auburn this week on the road. I think is another um, major plus for how your schedule shakes out because you got the four home games. Let Carson Beck kind of settle in before he does go on the road, and then you're going to go to a hostile environment like Jordan Hare, which again Auburn by no means is world beaters this year. I think they have a pretty solid defense. The offense just isn't there for them under Hugh Freeze in year one. But nonetheless, it is a hostile environment, and that'll be kind of a prelude to what you get up in Neyland Stadium down the road. So go ahead and get that out of the way. Get your feel for your first true road game as a starter and allow Carson Beck to continue just to settle in as the schedule progresses, allow him to build up that confidence and kind of know what that's like on the, what it's like to play on the road as an SEC environment before you do go up to Neyland Stadium and one of your biggest games of the season. So excited to see that. I will actually be at Jordan Hare covering the game. So I'm excited to see what 
the War Eagle, whatever Tigers have to offer as a fan base and see what that atmosphere is like because I've heard nothing but good things. So should be a good one for sure. I think there's a lot of excitement about this one and interested to see how this offense can continue to build and move on, especially against a defense like Auburn, which I do think they have a really solid defense. Auburn typically does. Yeah, Auburn Auburn hasn't played terrible on defense so far. Their offense is just abysmal. I mean, y'all want to talk about Carson everybody that wants to complain about Carson Beck. Let me let me tell you what their quarterback Peyton Thorne is doing over there in Auburn right now. All right. 45 or 49 for 75, 561 yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Compared to Carson, who is 93 for 128, 1184 yards, six touchdowns and one interception. Yeah. That he's got day. twice. He's got twice as many passing yards through week four. It's a nine. It's a nine day difference. That's why I said. I mean, go ahead and ask a bunch of different fan bases if you would rather be in their scenario, if they'd rather be in yours. Ninety percent of college football fans are going to say, "I would rather be in Georgia's shoes right now compared to what I've got going on with my own team." So, I mean, all you ask for is that you continue to be put in a position to play in the college football playoff and compete for a national title. You've done that through four games, and now it's going to. Now, of course, that's like we said, you've played UAB, UT Martin, Ball State, but you have looked like one of the better teams in college football. If you look around the college football landscape, there's not a whole lot of consistency amongst all these other programs, especially like your typical teams of what Alabama typically looks like or even LSU or I mean, heck, Florida State nearly got upset by Clemson. There was a scare there. USC, despite how good they look, they have the 130th ranked strength of schedule in the entire college football. So Going to see what that looks like for them moving forward as their schedule starts to ramp up. We saw what happened to Colorado once they got put against a competent team like Oregon. Got the doors blown off of them. I mean, absolutely embarrassed. Michigan has kind of struggled a little bit. Notre Dame lost to Ohio State. And going off of that, Ohio State nearly lost to Notre Dame. So like, Georgia looks like one of the better teams in college football. And if you can say that through four weeks, then I think you're in a perfect spot. Yeah, you can't complain about that at all. But when, let's go back a little bit to yesterday's game. We kind of, I got, I got us off track. We started talking about Auburn first, which we can talk a little bit more about Auburn here in a little bit as well to kind of give some some outlook on that before we wrap the show up. But defensively for Georgia, I know a lot of people. If you look at the scoreboard or the the stat sheets and you see twenty one points given up by your defense, right? That's that's not exactly the best thing you want to see against UAB in, in a game like this. But what I want people to realize is the first touchdown, I mean, yeah, they just drove the field. They, that was a good drive, right? They, they got you on that drive. They, I think it was a 70-yard drive or something crazy. That was not great from your defense. That That's not what you want to see. But then the second touchdown they scored right before half was because we fumbled the ball on a – was it a punt, I think, mm, from Makai? Yes. Makai Mews yes. fumble on the punt. So punt return, fumble, and they have the ball with in, inside our own 40-yard line. And they punch that in and score. And so all of a sudden, they've got 14 before half. And then when you get down to the fourth quarter, and at this point, Georgia scored 42 points or something like that. At this point, or I think they actually had 49 at this point of the game when they scored that third touchdown. But neither here nor there. Point is, at that point, now you've got your entire backup units in, all of that. If they score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, that that happened. I think it happened against UT Martin. It happened. South Carolina was you know moving late in that game some too, but not quite that much. But then it happened with Ball State. They scored late in that game. When you get into the fourth quarter and you're up big, that yeah they're going to score. That's that's when they're going to score. So I think the biggest concern was the first touchdown they scored because it was a seventy yard drive. Other than that, the other two touchdowns, I don't think 
well, first of all, one of them was only a 40 yard drive or something because it was short field and you gave it to him right there. Uh, but I'm not, I wasn't concerned by that. The biggest thing I've noticed about this Georgia defense is without Javon Bullard in that back air, back end at safety, there's, there's a massive drop off. That's where I have some concern and I really, really hope. And I think he might be back this next week because it looked like he was about ready to go this week, but they maybe just decided to hold him off. Uh, but I expect that I would expect him to play, I would say. And if he's back, I think that makes a huge difference in your secondary. Yeah, Javon Bullard is definitely missed in, in the secondary when he is not there. I love Dan Jackson. I think all Georgia fans love Dan Jackson to death, but he isn't a Javon Bullard. He doesn't supply that type of athleticism or the playmaking ability that he has when he's back there. So getting getting 22 back will be huge. And then also, no Michael Williams on Saturday. Don't know the reason why, but he was not there either. So, I mean, that's two of your best players on defense that you didn't have on Saturday. And, I mean, heck, think about last year against Kent State. I know we kind of referenced this game quite a bit, but I think it is kind of comparable to what some of the things that are going on. When Kent State was putting up some points against Georgia's defense last year, what happened? Well, Lad McConkey muffed a punt. Kent State took over on offense, was immediately in yep. striking range, and they were able to put some points on the board. Last year, there was some – there were some tendencies for this defense to kind of give up some points throughout the game. And people kept saying like, oh, this defense lacks this killer instinct. We need N'Kobe Dean back. We need Quay Walker. We need Channing Tindall. We need all those guys back that we lost. But then later on in the year, as the season progressed, nobody was complaining about the defense. The defense has always became one of the strongest points of the unit and as a team in totality. I think that's probably what's going to happen this year. Remember, there's a lot of young guys on that defense that are playing. You know, Dalen Everett. Okay, Zachary says that Michael Williams was sick, so there you go. Nothing to worry about there. Georgia should get him back here soon. But, I mean, Dalen Everett, those guys that play in corner, they haven't played a lot of football. David Daniel Sisavon, who's been filling in a little bit when Javon Bullard isn't there, he hasn't played a whole lot of football. A lot of guys on that defensive line, even if they are veterans at this point in their career, they haven't gotten a lot of snaps in SEC play or in college football in, in general. So this is a relatively young defense, and the more they play, the better they're going to get. And you do have guys like Jamon Dumas Johnson and Samal Munden and those other guys that have been playing for a while that are going to help them out and anchor down the defense when they need to. And I think that's what they've done. So at this point, I don't think there's any reason to complain about the defense or to be worried about them, I should say, because they're going to do what they've always done. They're only going to get better as the season progresses. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, when you look at the stat sheet, you see 21 points and it kind of concerns you if you didn't really, if you didn't watch the game or see how it all unfolded and everything like that. And I understand that because if that's what you see, that's what you see. Um, but when you actually look into how things played out, you know, it kind of it kind of shows you that maybe you shouldn't be as worried about your defenses as you might have thought at first. And uh, with Bullard being out, like I think that that secondary just has a lot to figure out as a unit when he's not there. They need, I think that's when I know we talked about this before. You know, after last week about like there being a leader on defense, and I do think that there are leaders on this defense. I think uh, Pop, you know, JDJ is is I think he's a leader in that linebacking area, a room. And then I the problem is. Uh, Bullard is definitely your leader on defense, I think. And him not being on the field, I think that does make a difference in these past couple games there. And like you said, Dan Jackson, he's he's just not an All-American, right? That's what, that's what Bullard is. He's an All-American. So when he goes out and he's one of the most talented players on your defense, of course you're going to feel it there. Um, but I noticed something that I don't know if you saw because I know you were at the game, so you may not have noticed as much, but uh, Humphrey, Julian Humphreys was playing mm-hmm. corner early in that game, which makes me wonder because, you know, there was a huge battle for corner between Dalen Everett, Nylon Green, and Julian Humphrey um, leading into the season. And it, so far, it's been Dalen Everett. So, but now Humphrey, 
got some play pretty early in that game alongside Kamari Lasseter. So it makes me wonder if there's still an ongoing battle, which I assume there is, because when it's that close going into the season, it doesn't stop after week one. And uh, you and I talked about this after like the first game. And a lot of times you see the more experienced or older, uh, more seniored player get that push at first. And then maybe sometimes you see a younger guy take over afterwards, which is possibly what we might see if Humphrey continues to get that type of play, maybe against Auburn next week. Yeah, I think Dalen Everett has played well. I know that there was at one point in the game he got picked on a little bit. They threw that kind of fade route to the left corner of the end zone when UAB had the ball. Perfectly thrown ball. I thought Dalen was in great position. He played great defense. He did the best he could. They just happened to throw a perfect ball. And, you know, of course, being a cornerback, you're going to get blamed for that. It's going to People are going to yeah. act like that you got burnt and that you're no good. But I think Dalen's done a good job. But Julian Humphrey, by all means, has the physicality. He has the body. He has the instincts. He has all the intangibles to be an elite SEC defensive back. And so if, more than anything, you definitely want to get him reps. You want to continue to get him experience because as we've seen on defense already and throughout this season is once a player goes down, you need that next guy to be able to step up. So even if it isn't a battle still kind of going on, going into week five against Auburn, if anything, it's good to get him reps. It's good to get him experience because if Dalen Everett does go down or God forbid Kamari Lasseter goes down, you're going to need someone else to step up. So go ahead and get him comfortable, get his feet wet a little bit and make sure that if his number does need to be called, you know, you can, he, he can go out there and you can depend on him. AJ Harris was out there relatively early. He was playing in the third quarter when I noticed uh, who else was out there. Um, the other name is, oh, Nyland Green got some reps yeah. as well. Like they rotated in quite a few guys at defensive back throughout the game. But number 12 and number six were definitely the two main guys that were being rotated in on the opposite spot of Kamari Lasser. And that's a good early thing to see. Early in that game. Yeah. Very early, early in, in that game. game. For sure. yeah, I think it was like the first quarter I saw a play where I didn't I don't think he made the play. I just saw after the play, mm-hmm. I saw him walking away from it. And I was like, oh, there he is. Look at that. He's on the field in like the first quarter, maybe early second quarter, something like that. But it was very early in that game, um, which, it, like I said, it just shows you there is an ongoing battle that's taking place right there. And, and I like seeing that because guess what? That makes, you know, if Dalen keeps that job right? It means he's going to have to continue to fight the other guy off, which means he has to keep playing at a high level. I think competition is exactly what you want in a a crowded room like that. You want them going after each other like that and, uh, you know, trying to threaten to take it because that means they're both playing very well. And I think, you know, so we'll see how that plays out moving forward against Auburn. Georgia was rotating in a lot of guys at a lot of different positions on Saturday yeah. as well. Like Xavier Sori, he got in qu- quite a bit early in the game. CJ Allen was getting a lot of reps as well at linebacker. I mean, they were putting in quite a few different players, mixing them in. I mean, throughout this whole season, Jordan Hall has been in on the rabbit package for third downs. That's a true freshman right there. Kristen Miller has been rotating in a good bit at defensive line. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. was filling in for Michael yep. Williams. So, like they got a lot of experience built up in this game. Guys got to get a lot of reps, and that's important. And I think that's a great thing to do against an opponent like UAB. Like n- nothing against them, but UAB is not a very good football team. And when you are getting into your the SEC slate of your schedule, it's nice to know that they have those reps. They have been on the field. They get you have some tape of them. You got to see how they f- how they played, how they fared against an opponent like UAB and see if it kind of get a better idea of what your depth chart looks like so that if they do need to go dip into the depth chart just a little bit, if they need to go dip into the twos a little bit, then you know who you're comfortable with, you know who you want in that situation, and you know who's ready for to take on that task. So I think Georgia did a great job of rotating in a lot of guys and just kind of figuring more about their uh, about their roster. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's good to do that before you start going into your tougher opponents on the season. So let's jump back over to Auburn. We started talking about them for a little bit, but we'll get more into kind of what we're looking for from Georgia against Auburn, kind of how we think it's going to play out. Um, We'll start on the offensive side of the ball, and I'll let you go first. What are you looking for from Georgia in this game uh, offensively against Auburn? I think I... Want to see? I want to see the offensive line continue to build what they what they've continued to do. You're without Marius Mims. That's a big loss. I, I thought that um, Xavier Trust has looked good at right tackle thus far into the season. I thought he's played pretty well out there. I thought Dylan Fairchild, for the most part, looked good at left guard. And then Tate Rattledge, Cedric Van Pran, Ernest Green. I thought they played relatively well on Saturday as well. But now you're going into an opponent like Auburn who's going to have some big bodies up front. They always have a good defensive line. They've always got SEC dudes on that front four. So I'm excited to see how this offensive line fares against that challenge. They played well against South Carolina. I think Auburn probably has a better defensive line than what South Carolina has to offer. So I just want to see the offensive line continue to build off of that and Really, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Like I said, I think a lot of questions that I've had about or concerns obviously continue to be successful in the red zone. And then really, I don't know what else more I could ask or want more out of the offense other than that. I think they've answered the majority of the questions that I've had throughout the year, at least four weeks into the season. If Dejon Edwards is able to continue to run the ball like he has, if Georgia can connect on one more deep ball than they have in the last in the last few weeks, then they're going to be in prime position. I mean, you hit on one of those deep shots to Jackson Meeks or Arian Smith, then you're golden on offense. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think my two things uh, for offense is number one, talking about those deep shots and stuff is we got to catch the ball, right? What the one to Arian Smith, sure. the one to Arian Smith, you can't ask for a better throw from Carson Beck on wide open by yourself and just kind of short armed it, I guess. I don't know. He had his elbows bent pretty tight and then just it looked like mm-hmm. he short armed it and, and uh, someone else said maybe he, it looked like he kind of slowed down a little bit as well. So uh, it, that one is one that you got to catch, right? But there were three big drops overall in that game that I saw. The biggest one obviously being to Arian. So I want to see the wide receivers be a little more sure-handed when it's right there. I'm not saying that I need one-handed catches. I'm not saying I need you to you know catch the ball and get flipped you know because you get hit in your legs that kind of thing. But the ones that hit you in the chest, the ones that hit you in the hands. You got to make those catches. You got to make the ones that are easy in that aspect of it because you're going to need every single one that you can get when you start getting into these SEC opponents. You're not going to build Hold on to the ball in general, right? That was going to be the second one, right? The second one <laughs> is fumbles. I, I, I want to see Georgia protect the ball a little bit better. And I know Makai Muse sure. has been very good on special teams for Georgia. And so this is, you know, an error. But I think he fumbled one earlier in the season as well. We just recovered, if I remember correctly. Somebody, a couple, We've had a couple fumbles that have been recovered by our team. Um, mm-hmm. I think Dejon fumbled. And, you know, I think we may have recovered. Carson it. had one. Carson fumbled. Like, I want to see that go away. That's that's the thing because definitely because that's where you, that's difference makers in a game's turnover margin, man. If if you do that against an Auburn team, uh, which maybe not Auburn is not the best example in the world, but if you do that, especially when you go to Knoxville, if you start doing that against Tennessee, you're, you're in some trouble because they're going to convert off of those. So it's an extra possession for them, extra points for them, all of that good stuff. That's what I want to see go away for Georgia. Catch the ball when they're hitting you in the hands, and then. Protect the football when you're running with it. You cannot give the other team extra possessions. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Kirby Smart and his staff grade running backs based off of two things. Can you make the first guy best and can you protect the football? Got to protect the football. You cannot be letting the ball hit the ground. Definitely cannot be giving the other offense extra opportunities because we see what happens there. 
you give them an extra opportunity, those typically lead to scores, and they typically lead to scores at unopportune times for yourself. So definitely don't want to see that happening. Got to protect the football. I think especially when Carson Beck has been doing a tremendous job of protecting the football. I know he had that one pass that probably should have been an interception when he threw the screen out and the defensive back just read it the whole way through. That was more of a good play by the defense and less of a – I mean, because he's going to throw the screen. He did it as quickly as you can. The guy just knew exactly what was coming kind of thing. Yeah, made a great play. So, I mean – Carson Beck has done a great job protecting the football, so you got to help him out, and we can't be shorthanding him by fumbling the football. I know, like I said, he's had a fumble himself this season as well, but can't be letting the ball get to the ground. Got to keep it tucked in between those arms and keep it all the way to the ground because, like I said, just can't be gifting teams extra possessions. And But other than that, yeah, I think between what I said and what you said, I think Georgia's going to be fine. You know, so you brought up Tennessee, and I thought this was interesting. I think it's a good time to kind of talk about what the rest of what else is happening in college football. So going into Saturday, I think it was going into Saturday. It's either going into Saturday or at the end of Saturday. Tennessee had only had like two or three plays of forty yards or more. Wow! When last year they were like one of the best teams, you know, at creating explosives, hitting those deep shots. So. Tennessee definitely has not turned out like most thought. I think I kind of had my own reservations about Tennessee this year. I just wasn't a huge believer in what Joe Milton was going to do because, I mean, we saw, we have seen what Joe Milton is able to do. We've seen it. We've seen all the glamour about him on all social media, like, oh, he can throw football 90 yards. But what his struggles were at Michigan and what his struggles were early on at Tennessee are the exact same struggles that we're seeing from him right now. And I also think Tennessee fans are learning just how valuable Jalen Hyatt was and how valuable Cedric Tillman were and how great those wide receivers were for them because they're not exactly getting that same production out of that room this year that they were last year. And I mean, the whole offense that they run surprisingly is predicated off of being able to run the football and they haven't been as, as successful of doing that this year as well. I think that's why you've seen Tennessee struggle quite a bit this year. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. When Once again, like you said at the beginning of the show, I, I think if you asked other or other teams if they would switch quarterback situations with you, I think a lot of teams would take you up on that because having a solid starter at that position, it makes all the difference in the world. And I think that uh, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that Joe Milton can't still have you know, a decent season when it's all said and done. But like you said, the struggles are definitely right there. I think a lot of hype got around him because, you know, he came out and said that he could throw the ball 90 yards. That's great. But can you hit your receivers, you know, throwing 10 yards, 15 yards? Can you like, hit a slant, buddy? Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like you can. <laughs> that's that's a little more important than being able to throw the ball 90 yards. How many times in a game are you going to have the opportunity to throw it 90 yards? You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're not. So mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's see you make some of the easier passes and all that kind of stuff in the meantime. But – Let's go back to the defensive side of the ball against Auburn. What are you looking to see from Georgia? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I guess I kind of tried to shift topics. You did, but we got to finish that one first. That's on me. My bad. (laughs) My bad, Georgia fans. I wasn't trying to pivot too quickly. Defense. Hmm. I I mean, I thought one of the best players on Saturday was Wilson. My gosh, I thought he had a tremendous football game. One of my things that I was watching for on Saturday that they said on uh, that I said on Talk the Dog last week was I want to see us finish plays in the backfield when we have the opportunity to sack the quarterback, when we have the opportunity to get guys for a tackle for loss at Warren Brinson. Let's finish those plays because we're leaving money out on the field. He did exactly that. I thought he played tremendous, especially with Michael Williams not playing. You needed someone else to step up. He had a tremendous football game on Saturday, but just continue to see growth from that defensive line, continue to get pressure on the quarterback because they're going to have to help these guys out a little bit with the young corners that we are having to play right now with the safeties that we're continuing to play with Bullard out. But hopefully you can get him back. I guess the second one for 
the defense was just continue to get healthy. Let's get some of those guys back. Let's continue to add depth back to this tremendous defense. And I, th- I think once they settle down, once they kind of figure out their role and once a lot of them get comfortable, I, like I said, I don't think there's going to be any issues or complaints with this defense. You're going to give up points eventually. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you get put in, in sucky situations like you do when your team fumbles the ball and all of a sudden UAB's in striking distance. There's only so much you can do sometimes. With what the defense was offered to them, I thought they did a pretty good job. I also thought UAB's offensive coordinator did a great job of putting together a game plan, and they hit some big plays that worked for them, and they got the ball rolling down the field. But um, make Peyton Thorne have to be decisive with the football, something that I think he lacks, and continue to create havoc, continue to create these turnovers that they have, continue to be um, ball hawks in the back end, and continue to turn the ball over. That's what I would say. I think the key for Georgia on defense for this one is going to be their front seven as a as a unit entirely because this is a team that I, I told you what Peyton uh, Peyton Thorne's passing stats were earlier. You know he's throwing the team is throwing for 173 yards a game. So what I say is you you put your front seven and you just go after them. You try to stop that run game, a run game that is running for nearly 200 yards a game, 197 on the ground. So mm-hmm. if you stop their run game. I don't think they can throw the ball downfield. So when even if I think Bullard will be back, but say Bullard's still out, I like our chances by, you know, making them try to beat you in the air. Don't let them don't let up on the run game at all. Be in the box. Keep seven, eight guys in the box throughout the entire game until they show you that they can beat you downfield. And if they get you once, maybe twice downfield, I think you can live with that because if you're shutting down that run game, they're not going to have any offense in this game. That's what they do. That's all they can do right now. They're not scoring a lot of points. They're not having big explosive plays. They're just running the ball and doing it very well. That's all they can do well. Uh, so I think that if, if you you know you drop you put Tyke Smith you know his star position kind of lean him into the box help with those linebackers in that defensive line if those guys have a really good day your your defensive backs are going to have barely anything to do all day they're going to be they're going to get bored when it's all said and done because this is a team that does not try to stretch the ball downfield on you so I don't I, the concerns we had about our secondary a couple times this season you know with Bullard being out and maybe a, a cornerback here and there getting picked on I don't think that's a, a issue that you're going to have in this game I don't think they can challenge you at those positions even where you have some deficiencies without Bullard being back there yeah, and you know Georgia doesn't have to load the box like most teams do to have to stop the run they can stop the run with six guys five guys in yeah. the box. And they can be pretty okay, especially with a guy like you said, Tyke Smith playing star. You're more than okay at that point of stopping the run without having to put a whole bu- whole bunch of bodies in the box. So, I mean, just, yeah, just dare Peyton Thorne to throw the ball. And when he does, make him pay for it. Don't let him push the ball down the field. If they want to take two yards at a time or if they want to throw little under routes the whole game, then let them do that. Georgia's going to be okay. I mean, one of their biggest strengths ever since Kirby Smart has stepped foot on this campus, it has been stopping the run. That defensive line has, I think, I thought it was really interesting to hear Zion Logue. I think it's Zion Logue that talked about this. They were asked about the rushing touchdown that they gave up to South Carolina a couple weeks ago. And basically, Zion was like, we were sick to our stomach because rushing touchdowns are something that we do not allow at the University of Georgia. Like, that is a big no-no. That is rule number one. Like, we just do not let that happen. That is something that we do not do, and that is something that we take pride on on defense is not allowing rushing touchdowns. And so that kind of tells you the identity that these defensive players take, especially that front seven. They don't allow you to rush the ball because they don't want you to be able to rush the ball. That is something that they really predicate their identity off of. So if that's Auburn's goal of how they're going to try and compete with Georgia's running the football so they don't have to make Peyton Thorne throw the ball, then it's going to be a long day for them on Saturday. 
Yeah, and I think I mean based on what they've done so far this season, that's what they're doing. They're they're having more rushing yards per game than they throw the ball per game. Um, and like I said, he's only thrown for just over 500 yards himself throughout the season. So it's it's definitely something that they're going to have to they're going to have to figure out if they're going to have a chance to beat Georgia because, like you said, if they try to just run all game, you know, the clock will keep going. Maybe it'll be a fast game and they'll get out of there faster, but they won't be putting points on the board if that's their strategy. So I like Georgia's chances uh, a lot. I actually saw somebody say something on Twitter last night about Georgia losing to Auburn next week. Uh, was a Georgia fan. Makes no sense to to look at this Auburn team and think that they have any any real shot to go win that game. Now, I'm not saying they they won't hold you for a quarter or two because it's still an SEC opponent. Maybe you can't score as easily on them uh, as you do against UAB or some of these other guys out there. But as far as them actually having a chance to win the game, I just don't see it. So if that's what you think, I'm I'm sorry for you. You're living in a pretty miserable, miserable world of Georgia football if that's what you're looking at right now. But I like Georgia's chances going into next week and continuing to roll and seeing Carson Beck kind of get back into it or continue to be in a groove, maybe get Bowers involved again like he did this past, yesterday. Uh, it'll be exciting to watch this game. Like we said, it's always fun to go to Auburn and get that game out of the way. Uh, usually it's later in the year, but past couple years they moved it early. So we get it earlier in the season. We don't have to wait so long for it. But uh, I think that's all I got. Do you want to talk about the decommitment at all, or you want to kind of leave that? Um, yeah, we can, we can hit on it real quick. Uh, if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have by now. Nikar, four-star wide receiver in the 2024 class, did decommit to, from Georgia this afternoon. Kind of a bit surprised. He's been one of the longer – he's been committed to Georgia for a very long time. I think he may have been the longest commit that Georgia had in the class and he's been making a lot of waves this season in high school football. He's been making some big plays. He's been going viral on Twitter quite a bit because he's been he's just been that guy this year in Georgia high school football. So definitely a big loss. I mean, especially considering that you have the number one quarterback in the nation or what most consider to be the best quarterback committed to your class to not really have this amazing wide receiver class put together may seem a little concerning. But honestly, like the way I look at it is, especially from a perspective of Brian McClendon, one, Todd Hartley has been recruiting his butt off this ever since he's been at Georgia. And if you continue to recruit like he has at that position, I don't know that you really have to worry all that much at the wide receiver position if you continue to recruit the dudes that Georgia has at that position. And two, I mean, what have we learned from college football is that if you need a wide receiver, you can likely find one in the transfer portal almost every single year. Sometimes there's going to be a Jamison Williams in the transfer portal. Sometimes there's going to be a Keon Cole, Michigan State, going to Florida State in the transfer portal. Sometimes there's going to be a Dominic Lovett or a Ra Ra Thomas lurking around in the transfer portal. So when you need a wide receiver, you can probably find you a pretty dang good one in the transfer portal every single year. And Brian McClendon and Georgia have already shown the willingness and the ability to go into the portal and get two really good wide receivers. And you still have two solid wide receivers committed in this class right now. I think you may even have more than that. But Sokovi White, Nitro Tuggle, those are two really good commits that you have. So if you add another body in that room, if you can find somebody, Georgia's going to be okay. Definitely not any means to hit the panic button. We know how recruiting goes nowadays in college football. Things can change in a matter of seconds. All it takes is one team come knocking on the door, throw something on the table, and they're, next thing you know, your player's out the door going somewhere else. Just, just the reality of college football, but Georgia's going to be all right. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of people have complained about the receiving uh, – recruiting over the years for Georgia and I think that's something that you know people would say Kirby Smart hasn't always been able to get and, that, and that's not a, a completely inaccurate statement they haven't always gotten like that the top wide receiver commits like they do at other positions I get it 
and I understand why you're a little frustrated, but I think it's because Georgia just Georgia's not Ohio State. Georgia's not USC. You know, Georgia's not going to go out there and throw the ball the way that those receivers want to be fed, and that's just a different identity of who they are. But what they do is they go out and get plenty of guys that are very talented overall and can make big plays and can do that kind of stuff. I think Georgia's wide receiver depth right now is is kind of insane, like how much they have right there, and you're still missing Lad McConkey, and these guys are still performing at a high level. Um, I, I'm not. That's not something I concern myself over. I, I would love to have the best wide receivers in the class. Don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone's going to complain about it if you can get them. It's just not necessarily the place that everybody wants to go because of the style that you have played historically. Um, now, I will say over the past couple seasons, you know, with last year with Stetson throwing for 4,000 yards, and right now Carson's on pace to do a lot of damage. I mean, he's almost got 1,200 yards after four he's games. he's on pace for just over 3,500 yards in 12 games. In 12 games. And then you got the, you know, SEC championship game, postseason play, that kind of stuff. So exactly. if that's the case, he's – pretty much on pace if he plays 14 games he's on pace for getting right around that 4,000 yard mark himself so I I think that that might change down the road as you see this happen but I think the other thing that that you focus on when you look at Georgia and these receivers is I think 12 different guys caught a pass yesterday for Georgia and while Carson was still in there I think it had gotten up to about nine or eight or something like Mm -hmm. that early early in that game so the point is they don't necessarily force feed one guy they just spread the ball around they don't do the now Bowers was the closest thing to it yesterday even with all those he still had nine catches but he made the most out of every single one of them as well so I think that's what it is when you look at Georgia Um, other thing I'll say about it is you know he the kid decommitted from Georgia he didn't commit somewhere else yet and there's you, I can't necessarily say that Georgia won't be able to get back in the conversation with him. I'm not saying they will get him back, but it's not over. He hasn't signed anywhere yet. So a decommitment doesn't freak me out at any position for Georgia. No, recruiting in general, if you haven't learned by now, recruiting in general should never freak you out as a Georgia fan. <laughs> you are going to be just fine in the recruiting landscape every single year. I mean, that's why Kirby Smart perennial league recruits at a top three level every single year. You're going to be fine recruiting wise, no matter what. So no need to fret there whatsoever. That's all I got if that's all you got. That's all I got. All right. Well, guys, go ahead and like and subscribe if you haven't already. I know it's late in the video, but go ahead and do those things for us. Help us continue to grow. We appreciate the love and support. Love seeing the activity in the live chat as always from you guys. Love the way you guys always contribute to the conversation along with us. And make sure to like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter if you haven't already to see all of those updates that we post about the show. So you know when we are going live, if we are not going live, what are we going to be talking about, et cetera, et cetera. That's where you'll find all that information every single week. Saturday. You can close this out, brother. As always, keep it classy in the classic city. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Two of the son of a bitch of the entire